I've actually just want to honour this house. The, um, the welcome and the support, even just leading up to preaching, I've just been so blessed. I've had messages from Andrew and Mel. I've had the lovely Bree. Just, there's many people who have actually just been encouraged me. And even this morning as we were around praying, I felt so honoured. And so you guys actually do that so well. You do that so well. You blessed my heart. So to me, I feel like I am blessed to be able to stand up here. You have blessed me. But I pray today, I pray today that the word that God has put on my heart will bless you. It comes out of a place um, of the journey that we've kind of been walking as a family for the last, oh, it's actually happened over the last few months. Sorry, I've just got to open my iPad and it's not working for me. Okay, so yeah, this, this um, comes out of where we've been over the last few months. So God's really taken us on a journey and taken deeper into his heart and into his purposes for our life. And I know that the purposes on our life are not just for us. So I want to actually be able to just bless you with some of the things that God's been speaking into our heart. Um, so we've, before we even came here, we had a connection with you guys. Our heart has been for this place even before we came here. So we um, were invited by Ben and Danny um, to some of our, the 24-hour hop worship events. And very quickly, we learnt that this was a place of worship and a place of healing. And I just want to tell a little bit about our history and our story so that you know where we've come from and why we've actually come here. So um, this is my husband, Adam, if you don't know him, and three of my boys, the other one's over there. So four boys, I am so blessed, so blessed to be raising mighty, mighty men of God. And you haven't seen anything yet from my children, I can just tell you that. Okay, so our history is, is that um, we have been worship leaders and directors in different churches for about 15 years. Um, that's our heart and our passion, but it's not just our heart and our passion. Our heart and our passion is for connection and community and family. We believe in the restoration um, and the ministry of reconciliation back to the heart of the Father. That's what we believe, and we believe that, we believe that revival is going to happen in families. Um, and because that's God's heart, that's his desire, was to bring people back into the family of God, yeah? So we believe that um, what we are going to see is not going to be just limited to church meetings, that there will be revival in people's homes, that generational curses, that things that have gone on for years are going to be changed. That is our heart. That is, that is the desire on our heart. So we were in a place where we were leading worship and, and doing what we were doing. And then suddenly we got blindsided. We got blindsided by my eldest son. <laughs> he got sick very quickly, very suddenly. And basically he was in a week, within a week of death. And his kidneys just packed in. And we don't know where it even came from, how it came about or anything. And we were just struck with a lot of trauma a lot of um, questions, a lot of just, you know, you know, like when you go through life stuff that everything just gets flipped upside down and you start looking at the world differently, you question things, things, there are thought patterns in our 
head that had been there and teachings that had been there for a long time that we started to look at and think, hang on, is this right? Is this true? And we started, because we were looking for deeper truth, deeper revelation, a deeper authenticity to our relationship with God because it wasn't enough for us to just keep doing what we were doing. So we started to seek God in a different way, in a different place. And um, we started just praying for a fresh fire on our life. And we wanted deeper places and deeper wells with God. But we didn't know that by praying that, that God was going to pretty much arrest our lives. <laughs> and it didn't answer the way we thought. We thought, yeah, deeper wells, deeper relationship. Oh, it's just going to get more intense. It's just going to get more exciting. But it was disrupted. And suddenly, everything that we were doing didn't feel the same. We felt uncomfortable. We felt dissatisfied. We felt discontent with the way that our lives were looking and our ministry and things that we had done before just didn't satisfy us the same way anymore. But this questioning kind of, we felt guilty for it. We felt like it was an illegal questioning almost. Like, how dare we think these things? I should just be satisfied in God, right? You know, but we were going through this time with, with Lockie and he was, he was on dialysis and we would watch him every night just he would basically get locked away to sit on dialysis. So his whole social life just went out the window. And, um, and during this time, like, you know, I'd watch Lockie just sit in there and play guitar. And, you know, not just playing guitar, he'd play Xbox too because he's not all that holy. <laughs> he's, a, he's a teenager. But, no, we would pray in those moments that, whatever the enemy was using for, for bad, that God would turn to good. And so we went through this, this time where, um, you know, where things just didn't feel the same anymore. And we kept thinking, is there something wrong with us, God? Have we, are we falling further away from you? Because some of these things that were once just inspiring us, even um, just the idea of our dreams and ministry, in, and stuff like that just didn't seem to have the same impact and the stage and the platform and stuff like that just it wasn't there anymore we just kind of thought God I don't I don't want this to be my life anymore so part of our journey was just a disruption it was a real disruption of being uncomfortable and we don't like that when that happens in our life do we we like comfort we like formulas. We like prediction. We like to know what God's going to do. And we box God in into how he's going to answer our prayers, yeah? Or am I the only one who thinks that? <laughs> yeah? Okay. So what, but what we did, even in this dissatisfaction, is because there was no grid for this way of thinking for us, and we would start to say things to people and, and we'd just kind of get some funny looks like, why are you asking that? Why are you saying that? You know, like, how come, how come you're not happy with what you're doing? You know, and sort of people would make us feel like we were terrible. So what we did is we started to bury it. We started to just hide that feeling. And we put it down. And you know what we did? We just kept serving. We just did what we did. We just pressed in. And we are the kind of personality that it was kind of like, you know, heads down, bum up, let's just keep working, we'll push through, we'll buckle on. And um, part of us doing that was actually because 
we needed community. We were going through some stuff and we just needed to be around people who loved us. And, and our worship team in particular were like our closest family. Like we had a lot of intimate moments with them. Um, you know, we learned a lot about each other. We learned a lot about grace. We learned a lot about forgiveness. And as much as we were leading them, they were actually blessing our hearts and supporting us through a time when we needed it most. So part of our reasoning was... Um, we actually just needed to be connected in to, you know, to people. The other reason, though, that we kept on moving and kept on leading and kept on serving was actually guilt. We actually, we actually were motivated because what we wanted to do is we wanted to just stop everything. We just wanted to put it down and let God deal with some of the trauma, some of the hurts and things like that in our life. And we didn't really allow space for him to do that. And we thought that by continuing to serve was the right thing, you know. It was good faithfulness, good loyalty. And um, also, not only that, we didn't actually have any other worship leaders in the church. So if we stopped, that would then be on our pastors. And nobody wants to lump extra work on their pastors, do they, Mel? (laughs) So... We were driven by this motivation of how could we do that to them if we stopped. But there was still this deep thing inside of us that we just didn't want to go through the motions. And it hit a wall, almost like a dam breaking, where we just thought, we can't continue on in the authenticity of who God is calling us to be and the purposes that he has for our life to just go through the motions. So we dropped everything. We dropped the roles, we dropped the titles, we dropped... um, what felt like a belonging, you know, we had created our own little falseness, I guess, of how we felt we belonged. And suddenly we were, we were left in this place where we thought, am I still going to be loved if I'm not doing what I'm doing? You know, and it's, it's hard to function in a place in a space like that. So we had many, many talks with our pastors and um, Adam was actually also talking to Andrew um, just to getting some advice on how do we honour our pastors through this process? How do we, how do we walk through this so that we are not um, dishonouring our pastors because we loved them dearly? So it came to a point, um, it just came to a point where we felt like God was calling us out. And that was a really painful experience for us. And probably the last few months, it took a difficult turn because our life was just just upside down but God was actually allowing that to happen to bring us to a place where we would go deeper would we would come in deeper to the heart of God and we found ourselves here because we knew this was a safe place we had been here before because during our time as worship leading we were doing it every week and sometimes we just wanted a drink And we knew this was a place where we could come to drink. So we had history with this place and we knew that it was a safe place that we wanted to come. Um, And most of that is because we know that this is a place of healing. And we knew that by coming here that we thought, God, I don't know what you want to do in our life. But I know if I sit here, I know if I just sit here, that you'll just let me drink from your wellsprings. And that's, that's what we wanted. That was just the intent of our heart. So, and since we've been here, I've heard many times the word on this church to be a house of healing. And it stirs me. And I'm reminded 
I'm reminded of when Corey Turner was here, and I don't know how many of you were here when he gave the prophetic word, but it was such a weighted word. It was such an amazing picture of where God wants to take this church, and something in me just started going on fire, and I thought, yes, God, I want to be part of this, Lord. I want to be part of it. But there was one part in particular that he said, and he gave um, a picture of this church being like a carousel, Does anyone remember this? Okay, and he said that we are on this ride and we are enjoying it and we're loving what God is doing. But what he saw was that there was a whole fairground and that there were rides that we are yet to explore. There was something about that word that just resonated in me. And then last week we had Mel's amazing preaching and there was another heavyweight of glory just when you were speaking and you said... um, You said that God has more than we can hope or dream for when we just fix and fasten. And I loved that seatbelt analogy because how often do we need to do that day by day, many times a day? But we just fix our gaze on him and that no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store for those who love him. So there's this expectation that's bubbling. There's just an excitement in the spirit. And like Mel was saying, God is on the move. God is on the move. But I believe that part of the word that I want to bring today, so it's come out of the experience that we've had, but it's coming as an encouragement too that I believe that God actually wants to strengthen something in us um, because he wants us to go to another level and he wants us to explore the rest of that fairground. But in order for us to do that, I believe there's going to be a disruption. I believe that he wants to disrupt the status quo of our lives. See, when we say, God, I want more of you, when we say, God, I want to know your love more, I want more revelation of your word, when we ask those things, guess what? He actually does it. Because he says this in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You see, it's the hungry ones who are going to see. It's the hungry ones who are going to hear. And he will fill and he will satisfy you. You know, there's a in the history of revival and in the move of the spirit, it was always preceded by an atmosphere of disruption. It was always preceded by the normal and the predictable being changed and challenged. And what God first does is he awakens us. And then what he does is he wants, when he wants to birth something new, he births a new cry in us, yeah? So I want to ask you this question. What do you see that God is provoking in your spirit? Is he speaking something new to you? Is he stirring something in you? You know, these are the questions we need to ask ourselves if we're going to explore the rest of that playground, at the fairground, that we want to jump on those new rides. Now, you might say, But we've got the Holy Spirit. We've got a revival in our lives, right? Like, you know, isn't that that what we're saying, that God's Spirit is in us? But what I want to say is this. If we have revival, then where is it on all flesh? Acts chapter 2, 17 says this. And it shall come to pass in the last days, said God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. If what we have right now is revival, then I'm discontent. 
I am discontent. I mean, I'm, I'm really grateful. I'm really grateful what God has done. I'm grateful for the things that I've seen him do. I'm grateful for the moves that he's had. I'm grateful for the miracles. I'm grateful for what he's done. I'm grateful for the healings. I'm grateful for the gold dust I've seen. I'm grateful for the feathers that we hear about and, and the visions that we've seen and the, the, um, you know, the angels and stuff that have come and visited. I'm grateful for all of that. I really am. But I know based on the word, based on the word, that there is more, yeah? I just want to clarify that there is a difference and because I think sometimes we get confused about this when we're talking about open heavens. Um, that there is a difference between an open heaven over us as individuals as there is over, over cities and nations. And I just want to explain that. So our individual open heaven is it's the glory of our new birth. It's what we experience the day that we all become born again. It's where we begin to have immediate access to the throne of God. It's where we know we are loved. It's where we know that we have his affection. It's where we know that we have spiritual authority. And it's where we know that we have the spirit of God living in me. That is the open heaven that is over us as individuals. But then there's the open heaven that is over our neighbours, that's over our city, that's over our regions. And when God wants to open up an open heaven over nations and regions and cities, that there is an effortless power of God that is released that destroys the enemy. You see healings in numbers, salvation in numbers. And isn't this what we want? Like, isn't this what we're, we're actually crying out for? So we can be saying the same things. We can be saying the same phrases, the same prayers. We can be singing the same songs. But when God has an open heaven over your city, then when you're singing those same songs, something different happens. So an open heaven, when we're experiencing it as individuals, I can be a worship leader and someone can come up to me and say, oh, when we sang that song today... You know, I just felt God do this in my life. But an open heaven which is over a city means that we can sing that song and literally hundreds of people in that moment are transformed, are healed, that things are broken off their life. And we want to go from the one to the many. That's what we want to see. It shifts an atmosphere. That's what an open heaven over a city does. So as individuals, we freely receive that individual open heaven. But for the regional one, you actually have to contend for it. So as a son or a daughter, we rest. This is the language that we hear when we say we're resting. Because as a son or a daughter, I don't have to strive to get into the presence of God. I don't have to strive to feel loved. I don't have to strive to be forgiven. I don't have to strive to have access to the intimacy of the heart of my father. That is what we have as a son or a daughter. But, but there is another posture that we're called to. And that posture is one of reaching. So we have rest and we have reaching. So we're not called just to do one. We're actually called to do both. It's not either or, it's both. That's what the position that we're called into. Um, when we're in that place of rest, 
what happens is, is that we're pulled into the heart of God and we are made so aware of his great love for us. And it is such a beautiful place to be because there is nothing like knowing who you are in God, yeah? And I love that about this church. This church has such a great understanding of resting in our individual open heaven. It is such a great place where we know that we can come in. But you know what happens when we're in that place is that we don't just get to know how much we are loved. We actually get taken into the, the heart of God and he, what he starts to do is he gives us his fiery vision. He starts to put his vision into us. But that only comes through intimacy. He doesn't give that vision to everyone. It only comes from being in that place. Bill Johnson puts it this way. He said, one of the most challenging things to do is to be full and hungry at the same time. When you live in an environment of blessing, one of the hardest things to do is to maintain our hunger. And hunger, as we know, it's actually a sign of good health, yeah? Like we see it in our kids. If they get sick, the moment they lose their appetite, we know something's not right. What is wrong with them? And it's the same with us, you know, in the spiritual context. When we lose our hunger, we have to look at our spiritual lives and go, what's wrong, God? What's wrong? And so sometimes what he does is he allows things to go on in our life and he, then he'll bring them to a place and he'll disrupt us and say, all right, Let's deal with this. Let's deal with this. So if you've been asking God for more, then I'm just saying to you, don't be surprised by the disruption. Don't be surprised by it. It will happen. And, you know, that is a good thing. It's actually an outworking of God's grace on your life. So I actually want to just share the story of Hannah this morning. Um, I believe that the story of Hannah, it's, even though it's illustrated by a woman, it's something for all of us to take on. And, and often we think of Hannah as just about a breaking of a barrenness, but there's something else in this story that I want to pull out. And I believe that it's a prophetic picture for us as a church. And I believe that what it is, it's that, it's that, it's almost like a teaching and a tool that tells us how do we discern the difference and know the difference between reaching and resting? How do we go from resting to reaching? Like, how do we do that, God? Like, how do we actually do that? And I believe that there's a picture in this story of Hannah and what she's actually teaching us is that she's saying, God, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you love me. I thank you for this place of intimacy but there's something more. I want to see barrenness broken off my life. And I want to see it broken off the lives of people around me. And not only that, I want to see a birthing of a generation of people that will actually bring in a new spirit and a new move. See, the Hannahs, the Hannahs are the contenders. The Hannahs are the ones who don't mind being disrupted they allow God to disrupt them the Hannahs are the ones who are going to cry out for more the Hannahs are the ones who are going to birth something new my heart gets really really full for young adults I love spending time with young adults I love just that generation of people who they don't buy into the ear tickling 
They don't buy into the, you know, this is the way we've always done it and this is what we've got to say to keep you happy and to keep you involved. They're getting too smart. They're getting too smart and they want something real and something authentic. And I see it in the generation of today. It was different from when even we were younger and I grew up in the church. I remember going to youth groups and doing things like that and a lot of it was entertainment. And I'm not saying having fun is there's anything wrong with it. But there's a generation of young people today and I feel like they're at a tipping point where they can go one way or the other, you know. And my heart really burns. It really burns for this generation because I believe that this generation are like the Samuels. They're like the Samuels that are being born. And in the, in the um, I think it's like the third chapter of Samuel, it actually says that there was not one word that fell to the ground. And I believe that the Samuels, the generation of Samuels that are going to come out of this place, that they are going to be such an influential group of people where not one word will fall to the ground. Yeah? So 1 Samuel chapter 1, I don't have any of the thingos up there, but um, you can either read along with me or just listen to me. So 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of... Oh, there's too many names I cannot pronounce. I'm just going to skip to verse 2. Basically, he had two wives. (laughs) And I think right there is probably the first problem if most of us would agree. Two wives, not a good idea. (laughs) Okay, so one was called Hannah. And the other, Penina, if I'm saying that wrong to anyone who's intellectual, feel free to correct me later. But Penina had children and Hannah had none. And already we can see here that the first thing is that one sort of represented a blessed thing and one sort of represented cursed. So year after year, this man went up from the town to worship and sacrificed to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Everybody say, the Lord had closed her womb. Verse 6, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, let's say that again, the Lord had closed her womb. Um, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. I feel so sorry for Hannah. So not only was she barren, but she had somebody making fun of her for being barren. Like, I don't know if anyone else can relate to that, but when there's stuff going on in your life and it's almost like, you know, you're dealing with something, but then somebody will come in and, and just either kick you when you're down or, you know, poke it a little bit just to make it a little more painful and it's not always the devil sometimes it's just the circumstances of life where we're reminded of what we're actually missing out on and I believe that that rival is is it's like that representative like that for us this went on verse 7 this went on year after year whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord her rival provoked her till she wept and could not eat her husband Elkanah would say to her Hannah Why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. 
just want to make a side note there. In the King James, it actually says in her deep, um, in her deep anguish is actually translated as her bitterness of soul. And I just want to bring that phrase up because I'm going to use that a lot. Her bitterness of soul. Um, so she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of my life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love, we have some scenes like that in the Bible, made love to his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel saying, because I asked the Lord for him. I love this story. So here we see this. We see that Hannah, she had this barrenness. She wanted a son. So the first thing that we can see in this story is this, is that God cares about our longings, yeah? He cares about our longings because longings without fulfillment is really, really painful. Now, I don't know who can relate, but I'm sure there are many in this room who actually can relate where you have been praying for something for years and have not seen it fulfilled yet. But I believe that God wants to encourage you today. And there's a grace on this message. The name Hannah actually means grace. So God wants to remind you today, don't stop praying. Don't stop. Keep going. Keep believing. Because, you know, when we stop, what we're doing is we're actually consenting to a barren room. That's hard to hear. Because we can sit there and say, God, but you haven't answered. But if he hasn't said no, then it's still open to an answer, yeah? Yeah? Now, we know that God is reversing barrenness. He's the one who opens them. He's the one who opens the floodgates over our life because that's who he is. That's what he does. He's the restorer. He's the redeemer. Yet, it says in this passage that the Lord closed her womb. So what does that mean? Like, isn't that just like opposite to what we know of God? So why is he doing this? So I believe that the Lord closed her womb because it was all about timing. He didn't close her womb because he didn't want her to have kids. He closed it because he was actually choosing Hannah as the vessel who would actually be the lineage of the Messiah. If you work through that, it was her son that actually anointed David who, where our lineage from the Messiah came. So this was God consecrating and ordering a timing that was so perfect, so right. 
Now you think about that, God must have had a huge amount of faith in Hannah, yeah, to make sure that she was actually going to be the one to push through, to push through this pain of not having a child, to actually get dissatisfied. Like God had great faith in her. And I believe today that God's actually saying, he's actually got great faith in you. He's got great faith in you. And that there are things where, you know, there is a delay or a timing, but he has great faith in you that you are the ones who are going to bring forth the greater blessing. So if there is delay, there is greater blessing. Take that as an encouragement. So Hannah's womb was closed. And here she had a husband that loved her and a rival wife that was provoking her. I believe that for many years, Hannah was playing the nice Christian game. She was loved, she was forgiven, she was even given the double portion over her rival. She was given the choice meat. But there was an elephant in the room. She was barren. There was a ceiling over her life and there was something stopping her from going deeper and further. And she couldn't bring forth any children because there was this deep yearning, deep yearning, and it went on for a long time. And we know it was a long time because it said year after year. And year after year, she wept and she didn't eat. So this was really affecting her. This was really deep in her soul. And I believe that she ran from that barrenness for years. She hid from it. She put Band-Aids on it. She denied it. I think we've all done that in places and moments in our life. And what she did was she buckled down. She continued to serve. She continued to go to church. She continued to attend every meeting. She continued to be seen. She continued to smile even though she was broken on the inside. Why? Because that's what we do. That's what we do. That's how we behave when we're Christians and leaders and pastors. That's what we do. That's how we deal with stuff. You know, we just keep going year by year. We serve, we worship, we receive God's love and we basically deny the elephant in the room because we can't appear to be weak. We can't appear to not have it all together. We can't not be the witness to how good our God is, yeah? The stuff that we're preaching. I mean, how can we say that there is a goodness to God when everything is not good? How do we do that? So we deny trying to find the answers. We deny trying to seek God's heart. And we just keep serving and we just keep going. And we do it in the name of being good Christians and being loyal and faithful. But I think sometimes we're denying that real part of our heart. See, I believe that God allowed her story to unfold over time. It was a process of time. And he wanted to bring her to a place where it wasn't just enough to be loved by God. And it wasn't just enough to be receiving that double portion. And it just wasn't enough to be in that intimate place. But she wanted more. She wanted the barrenness broken off her life. This is a prophetic picture of our church, all churches, that there are two types of believers. There are ones that are happy, seemingly blessed, got it all together. Everything is perfect in their life. They know that they're loved by God. 
they are content and they're happy and they're full of that choice meat. But that is the fullness of their vision. That's as big as it gets. And then there's this other type. Yeah, they're loved by God. And yeah, they're forgiven. But there's an elephant in the room. And they are really in touch with a lack. They are in touch with a lack of something in their life, be it personal. Or they are in touch with a lack of power on the church. And they can't live okay with it. You see, they're not the same as everyone else. And they're not at ease with it like everybody else. Because there's an absence of the spirit and there's an absence of power. There is a barrenness on the church. And I believe that God allows this to go on for years. He allows us to go on with our fake smiles. And then the dam breaks. And he brings us into that cry that will change history. You see, Hannah was in a bitterness of soul. She wept. She didn't eat. And in that place, she made a really rather bold vow. And see, this is where the groans begin to come forth. This is where she leveraged the pain. She embraced it and she used it to drive deeper. You know, 19 years ago, I prayed a prayer just like this. My firstborn was born at 25 weeks. He was one pound seven. His thigh, Adam's wedding ring, would fit around his thigh. And legally, he wasn't even considered a human life. You had to be, back in those days, you had to be 28 weeks gestation to be considered a life. So if he'd passed away, I, couldn't, I didn't even have a birth certificate for him or anything. And he... He was like on a ventilator, basically life support, keeping him alive. And they had to keep turning up. He had lung problems where his lungs were just not fully developed. And um, we got to the point where the doctors came in and said to us, they said, we can't do anything else for your son. We, we, there's nothing else. We cannot turn the machines up. They are at the highest that they can go. There is no more air that we can put in him without breaking and perforating his lungs and he will die so it was always a balance of how do we keep them going and they said so we have come to tell you that you have tonight to decide how do you want him to pass away and so they gave us this these options one was you can take all the machines off him go into a quiet room and just hold him 19 years later and I still feel (laughs) you can just hold him and watch him pass away or we can help him through drugs and it can be done peacefully and I remember at the time we went home and we called everyone we knew and we we said pray just pray for us we don't know what to do what can God do in this moment And because in my head, I'm trying to logically think, God, how do you heal a moment like this? I had this one pound seven baby, literally as long as this drink bottle. And what I wanted was a seven pound baby that I was taking home healthy. (laughs) And it just didn't seem to make logical sense to come back in the next day and there's my 
full-grown baby to take. It, there's a process that sometimes has to take place as to how this has to work. You know, and he had to grow from one pound seven to 19. And, um, you know, there was a process involved in that. But in that moment, we went home and I just remember praying. I said, God, we've been here day by day praying and, you know, just believing in the goodness of who you are. But I give up. I don't know what else to do. Like, what am I meant to do, God? I give up. And I literally prayed this Hannah prayer. And I said, God, you know, if you want to take him, you take him. And I'll grieve and I will work through that grief. But if you keep him with me, I will give him to you. I will make sure he grows up knowing you in every season of his life. In every moment of his life, he will know that you are God and you are good. And he's sitting here today. God kept his life. And even in the recent season of his life, when the enemy tried again to come and take him, you know, it took moments of us to sit there and cry out, to call out like Hannah, to say, God, I know you love me. I know you care about me. I know I've seen you do stuff in my life. I know I've seen the miracles that you've done, but this is not enough right now. This is not enough. And our prayers began to change, not just from healing for Lockie, but we would say, God, you know what? You know, we don't care. We don't care how you do this or what you do or what it costs us, but we want to be able to give the testimony and the goodness and the glory to you, Lord God. We want to be able to share what you have done in his life. And not only that, it became less about what we were called to do, what ministry we were called to do, but we started to intercede for him to be greater than what we are. Our dreams became less important than by seeing another generation. And so when he'd sit in there playing guitar, we would say, God, you know what? You know we love to worship you. You know, we know this is what we do, but God, I want to see greater anointing on his life. I want to see things that I've never been able to experience when I've led worship. God, would you just give him double portions of what you've given us? You know, that's what it takes. That's what the cry of Hannah does. Hannah says, this is not about me and, my, and the baby that I want, but it's about what you're going to do through them because she birthed a whole generation of a new prophetic and she restored the priestly, um, the priestly office that was corrupt at the time. So, you know, this is what it becomes about. God starts to change something in us and in our heart and in our cry when we let the dams break. She was in this intense spirit of prayer and um, that's where she gave up control. I believe that God will allow that bitterness of soul in us. I know God wants to heal every aspect of our life and he wants to restore but sometimes when we're going through it I believe that God is allowing it to bring us to a place but we need to learn to leverage it we need to learn how to say you know what this is hard and this is painful but I am going to use it for the goodness and the glory of my God yeah, yeah. the husband said to Hannah 
Aren't I enough? Aren't I worth more than 10 sons? You see, I believe that there's a spirit of religion and it's going to act like Hannah's husband. And Hannah's husband says, why do you cry out? So this spirit of religion will say things to you like, why are you making a disruption? Why are you asking those questions? Why do you want to do it differently? Why aren't you satisfied with the system that we have? Isn't what you see enough? Why are you challenging? And the priest, Eli, thought that Hannah was drunk. You see, I don't think that there is a grid in the church necessarily for those who have a bitterness of soul where it deeply touches you. I think that when we bring up the elephant in the room, that there have been people who have been excommunicated from churches and thrown out of leadership for doing what Hannah did. You see, people and churches don't like it when we question or we're yearning for something that's not necessarily there yet because we don't have a grid for this. We don't have a formula that says, well, hang on, I haven't seen what you're asking for. I don't feel safe. I don't know what that looks like. And I believe that God is raising up shepherds and homes like this church that are going to give room for those Hannah cries. You see, churches like this, they're gifted with a grace where burnt-out leaders come. They're going to be pioneers who come here because they've gone through the motions for years and God has brought them to a place where there's been an elephant in the room and they've contended for something different. And I believe that God wants to legalise the cry for more. I believe he wants to give room for those who felt guilty and shame for being dissatisfied. Like Hannah, she was receiving that double portion. She had the love of God. She had his affection, but she wanted more. It's a lie of the enemy to say, don't cry out for more. It's a lie of the enemy to say, don't ask questions or be discontent. Now, God wants to leverage those moments. He wants to leverage the anguish and the bitterness of soul that you go through to drive you deeper. It's designed to be like hunger pains. And it is actually a sign and a grace of the work of God in your life when he begins to disrupt you like that. Can I get you to play for me, Ben? We're in a really good place right now. You know, I believe that God has gifted us with the revelation of his great love, yeah? And we're in a place, I believe, where God is actually stirring something up in us as people where we actually want to explore the rest of that playground, that we want to go to the rest of it and see what, what rides do you have for me, God? But it's going to mean getting off the one that we're on now. And that's not to say that it's bad. The ride, the carousel ride that we have been on has been good. It's a fun ride. We love that ride. But at some point, you have to get off that to try something new. And I don't know what that looks like. I mean, I've only been here six months and I know there's history in this church of moves of God. I've been lucky to see some of those things written, you know, on Facebook when I've heard the testimonies of stuff that God's done in this church. But I believe God wants more even than that, yeah? I think God wants to do something new again and again and again. We're in a place where we know that we can rest. 
We're in a place where we know we are sons and daughters. This is a good place. It's a good place spiritually and physically to be right now. But He's preparing us for an open heaven, not just over us, but for our city. I know God wants more. And I believe that God, He wants to release a grace, a grace where we can contend for more. And I also believe that He wants to give us discernment because we need discernment to know when to rest and when to reach. And only God can lead us in those moments because there's going to be moments where we need to rest in deeper and harder to the heart of God so that we can be downloaded with His fiery vision. It's only going to come through intimacy. It's only going to come in that secret place. So we've got to discern the difference. We've got to know when to do reaching and when to know resting. Can we just stand? We'll just close our eyes and I'm just going to end with prayer. You know, if this message has resonated with you, if there is something in you where you have felt either a discontentment with what the Spirit of God is doing and you want more, or if you feel like there's been a deep anguish in your soul and and God wants to actually do something and come in and, and use that moment for more, I just know that God wants to come in right now and touch His people. I just know that He wants to come in and He wants to do something new. He wants to release a grace over your life. He wants to release healing. He wants to lift off any shame that may be around the questions that you've had. The pioneering spirit that God actually wants to birth in you can sometimes look different and unfamiliar. So if that message is something that's touched you this morning, we just want to open the altar and say, come down. Come on, let's, let's contend. Let's contend this morning. Let's contend for the greater, for the more.